At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lumicure, the world messenger, and I'm greeting you with another truly epic legacy leader show. You guys will not believe who I have with me here today in the studio. Not only that he's very awesome Rotarian and being trusted board member for a lot of museums, schools, and foundations, but he is also a published author, actually nine times, and also keynote speaker, hotelier and restaurantware. But more than anything, he's a chef and not any kind of chef. He is the presidential chef who was actually cooking for presidents of United States. And you guys cannot wait to hear what he was doing and for whom and for how long. So without further ado, I cannot wait for you guys to hear directly from Marty Mongiello, Italiano. Welcome, welcome up Marty, how Thank are you? Thank you. How many chefs have been on your show? Zero, you were the first one. <laughs> I'm the first one, so see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to be here. Thank you so much, Isabella, for having me. And uh, looking forward to it, looking forward to having some laughs with people today. Uh, it's really what life is about. The more laughing you can get in and still do your work, the better off you are. So, right. Fantastic. And, and yes, and then interesting pieces that um, with your background, with so many amazing stories and trajectory of work you've been doing, how you carved a career and make magic happen. So many can learn because so many people are interested in their own and you just and follow their passions, but they don't know where to go and how to start. So let's unpack this. First of all, how did you get so passionate, of course, as Italian, into food, but desire to cook for others. Please tell yeah. us the journey I mean, it was, of the chef. It was pretty obvious at the age of about four that this kid was interested in food. Um, you know, Mozart was playing at the age of five. He was sitting in, in castles in London playing for the king and queen as early as eight years old. Um, it was pretty obvious to everybody in the family that this kid is very interested in food. So, and, and I was actually the laughing stock of my family a little bit. Um, they would come in to see what little Martin was doing in the kitchen. And I was preparing meals, you know, as early as like five years old. I think my most famous dish was an Italian dish. Naturally, the most famous Italian dish in the world is pizza. Um, but as a little kid, you know, I was making my pizza slightly different. I was using bread that I would, you know, butter and put, you know, red sauce on and then grated cheese all across the top. That was my idea of pizza. They, they said, uh, I think what the adults found fascinating was that little Martin had all this silverware on the right hand side and the left hand side of the plate. I would mm -hmm. use a towel for like a placemat and have my china set up on it. And I had three glasses 
And they said, you know, you would ask little Martin, like, what, what, what's in the glasses, little Martin? And so, of course, I had apple juice for my white wine. I had grape juice for my red wine and I had water. So <laughs> if you're watching a kid who's like six, six years old doing this or, or whatever I was, five, six, you know, it, it's pretty obvious this person's going to be a restaurateur or a hotelier or a chef or something, you know, and, and I think that was the, the handwriting on the wall. Fantastico. I love that. Obviously, you followed your passion very, very early on. And then you've been yeah. on such an amazing trajectory with your career. Traveled the globe, uh, went to a wide range of culinary schools. What was one of the most favorite things you did early on in your career that really propelled you where you were or where you are today? Yeah, I think, honestly, my dad um, explained to me that People who do, you know, jobs that they love are lucky suckers because he told me, like, if you can <laughs> harness your hobby and make money off of it, you're going to love what you're doing. Okay. It's very difficult for the majority of humans to harness their hobby, whether it's model car building or claying or they do backyard painting, you know, in the nude, um, wh whatever they're into, it's difficult to make money off of your childish hobby okay and growing up and being an adult and doing some type of crappy miserable work is what a lot of people feel as though they're chained doing with a whip master walking up and down the aisle and a small black snake whip you know keeping people alert and you're over here at the water cooler too much so let's break this up okay people are are really starting to burn down and burn out on that and are sick of a whip master walking up and down the, the aisles. And, and that's really old world thinking is we have to build, we're gonna open a new corporation. Bob's got the 2 billion to do it. Um, he wants a tower like 80 foot tall with the humans on each floor. We'll get the 4,000 humans in there each day and we'll have a whip master on each floor. Th that's how corporations have run for a long time, right? Yes, very true. Yeah. So, I mean, I was really focused on doing what I love. And I remember that lesson. And I've told our daughter that uh, numerous times. Um, you really need to focus on doing what you love and enjoy. And it's been kind of crazy here at our inn, our bed and breakfast in the countryside. I have had so many people tell me, Isabella, like, oh, you're so passionate about like leading the museum tour you can really tell that you love your work you, you hear that like once and it's 40 times after seven years it's been 120 sometimes somewhere around 150 times i heard that i started to take that on board like wow i never never realized that i was exuding a trait that others were picking up on you know, and making that comment, you can tell that you really enjoy what you're doing. <laughs> you keep hearing that. You keep hearing, is, is it coming out? Is, is it, it's not my intent. It's not even anywhere on the list. Uh, it's not, not part of like a focus to, to showcase that I enjoy what I do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nowhere in the business plan, 180 pages. That, that, that statement, that 
That's that's is that happening? Are you seeing that? Yes, yes, we are. It's it's like, oh my gosh, I I never gave enough consideration to that philosophy. No matter what you do, no matter what you do. So beautiful because you spot on. It should be actually should be that where that is so celebrated. It should be that is provided feedback and and nurtured over the years uh, and follow, uh, following your strengths, right? And and all amazing things you do, so that you're not only more self-aware but aware how other perceives you. And I wish that we complement genuinely and honestly, truthfully each other, and 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 really highlight those amazing, superb skills. But with that in mind. You you just keep rocking it and you did some amazing things. We're going to get back to the museum in a second because we really need to tell the prior museum the story, this huge story that I'm sure everybody watching and listening cannot wait to hear. You became a chef in White House. You yes. were cooking meals for presidents of the United States. Exactly. How yeah. crazy and amazing and unbelievable that is. Tell us, yeah. how did you get there? How could you compete with millions of others and get in there? And who did you serve? Tell us some amazing There's stories. There's so, so many stories behind how I got that job. The first one was falling flat on my face, um, actually standing back up and dripping red blood all down my white shirt. Um, in complete embarrassment as a loser, uh, calling my dad on the phone, crying into the phone, saying, Dad, you know, I'm not leaving for boot camp for the Air Force. They want you to come down here and pick me up because of my heavy drug use. Um, uh, it's either that or I go to prison, but you need to come pick me up. My dad was like, What are you talking about? You're leaving for boot camp today on the airplane. I'm like, no, dad, that's what I'm talking about. I'm calling you on the phone, telling you to come pick me up. They don't want me. I'm not allowed to go in. I have to return home. He's like, but we already had the goodbye party with all the relatives last night, the cake. I'm like, dad, come pick me up. I'm a loser. Okay. And so that was really difficult to head back home as a clown and an embarrassment in the entire family. Um, little did I know, you know, I, I was not familiar with that, the point that man plans and God laughs. Okay. I had never heard that yet. Okay. I had never heard in, in my 50s about fail, fortunate attempt in learning. I, I had to hear that from an Indian dude, a fellow vice president about three years ago what fail means, F-A-I-L. I was not familiar with these things. I was 18, getting ready to leave that day for boot camp in the Air Force. I had no idea that my dad was going to help me to get into the Navy. The Navy, you can have two drug waivers in the United States, okay, and still be able to go in. I went away to the Navy. I had no idea that only the United States Navy works in the White House with about 75 Navy chefs. I had no idea about these things and, and, and that one day I would be possible for me to become a White House chef through my service in the Navy. What an amazing wow. happenstance, right? Wow, you, you totally different perspective. I never thought about that. Yeah, the perspective of a loser. 
and what it means no, to be a no, loser. No, that's life. the moment when we feel like that. But of course, it's more to every single one of us. But I just never thought about that. Also, connecting the dots, serving in the Navy, it's a door opening yes. for the White House, and then how that got you the path to be a chef, and how it actually helped you to rediscover yourself and your dream, yes. right? And then that was one of the things my captain on board a submarine said to me, uh, Captain Patrick J. Casey. He said, you know, come on in here and shut the door. I, I was standing in the door of his stateroom. He's like, sit down. I had never sat down in the captain's stateroom in my life. Okay. Now I had done the floors on my knees and cleaned the toilet and the shower and all that kind of stuff. He said, you know, we have about 75 Navy chefs that work in the White House. We have two restaurants underneath the Oval Office. Did you know that? I was like, no. honestly, Captain, I mean, please, to, why would the Navy have a restaurant? He said, two restaurants, two restaurants. Yeah, Captain, why would the, he's like, don't, don't act like that. I see your face, what you're doing, the intonation with your inflection. Don't act like that. This has been going on since, you know, uh, the 1800s. And I'm getting ready to nominate you to the Secretary of the Navy to become a White House chef. I was like, wow. Holy heck, Captain. I've, I've heard <laughs> of the famous civilian chefs. They graduate from Le Cordon Bleu. They're usually French. Um, a couple of them, I think maybe one was from the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, I never heard of a Navy chef. He's like, well, let me tell you two other things. We also run the entire vice president's home at the end of Embassy Row. That's a United States Navy home inside the Naval Observatory. And we run the whole Camp David Resort. So uh, this is all a Navy job. Have you ever heard these things before? I was like, never in my life, Captain. <laughs> so he said, listen, I'm going to put you up for this, okay? Uh, uh, nobody wants you to do a cooking tryout. There'll be no cooking, nothing. We already know you're an unbelievable chef. You're very famous, okay? And you're cooking in the Admiral's homes at night. You're doing these massive four-foot-long cakes with trains riding around on the top of the cakes. You're doing ice carving with chainsaws, all this stuff. There'll be no cooking tryout. What the problem will be is the investigation into you and the other side of your family, your spouse's family. That's going to take about a year, maybe 14 months, could be as much as $400,000. And that's really up to you. And in many cases, Marty, it won't even be about you. You could get bumped because of a family member. Okay. So let's see how this plays out. Lo and behold, about like... 10, 12 months down the pike, Isabella, I got a phone call from my handler. And he said, that's what we call him, a handler. He said, yeah, yeah, you're watching the election? I was like, yes, yes, I am. Um, President Bush was defeated by the new guy from, from Arkansas, this William Clinton. He's like, very good. Okay, yeah, do you have anything you want to say? I was like, like what? Like, you know, something about he's a pot-smoking hillbilly on the Arsenio Hall show playing a saxophone with sunglasses on. Any, anything at all. Go ahead. I'm actually not sure what you're looking for here. I don't care if it's a female alien with antennas sticking out of its head, sir. If it's the president, I was looking forward to serving it and doing my job. Uh, I thought that's what this was about. He's like, good answer, good answer, because I just got off the phone with a master chief. 
he read me the riot act about this guy and he will not be coming to the white house he's going to stay on the aircraft carrier we wasted about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars investigating him and his family for 11 months we're pulling his candidacy but you you're approved uh, you can come to work in like two months i was like <laughs> so i'm i'm approved already i have He's like, yeah, you got a top secret Yankee white SCI clearance. You can come to work. I'll send you a fax. So on the fax machine, I got the old thermal paper, the little I tore it off. Of course, it, it scrolled up into a scroll. I, I opened the scroll. He had drawn with a pen drive to the middle of the woods here with an X and an unmarked car will pull up next to you <laughs> and take you into Camp David, the mountain resort. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is pretty freaking scary. This is like the born identity crap. I hope I don't disappear, you know? So <laughs> I actually told somebody like where I was going. Wow. And they were like, we don't believe you, no way. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my parents were freaked out even when I told them I'm going for the interview. This is going to be a long road. They're going to come all around Delaware County, Pennsylvania, talk to all my friends, interview the priests at the church, all types of people, teachers. You're going to be getting phone calls for months, angry phone calls. I even got one angry phone call myself. Um, it pretty much started out, Isabella, the first 30 seconds, you know, was screaming and yelling with F and MF and F, F, F. And, and I was like, are you done, Joe? Yeah, why the F are you mentioning my family to a bunch of spooks who are in the living room when I come home interrogating my father for an hour about you with sunglasses on? And they flashed their badges, gold badges to me. Why are you mentioning my family's name? I'm like, Joe, I'm not allowed to call ahead and prime the pump. You're not allowed to call all your friends and tell them that I put your name down. I'm not allowed to do that. Okay. Well, if you're involved in a lawsuit or a federal suit, you know, I'm like, Joe, 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 Joey, Joey. I'm not involved in a federal lawsuit. Okay. This is a good thing. I'm possibly going to work at the White House. Okay. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Okay, Joe, a good thing. <sighs> okay. All right, Mongo. Uh, that was my nickname. Uh, okay. Uh, you really had me worked up, bro. I was, I was like, oh my God. What were they asking? Well, they knew all about you being a pyromaniac underneath the bleachers at Lansdowne Alden High School, um, that we were doing dope. Uh, I think they're going around town getting information from one guy and giving it to the next guy so that when they get to the third guy, yeah, yeah, they're like building a profile on you, man. I was like, well, Joe, that's what they're supposed to do. I mean, I'm going to be playing with food, you know, for the president <laughs> and hundreds of guests at the White House. Um, this is a long investigation, Joey. You know, they're probably pretty <laughs> concerned, you know, so that's how you end up getting the job. Uh, yes. Wow. I remember, uh, this is amazing, and I love the way you describe it. It is truly unbelievable. People really don't understand how much 
clearance and investigation really go through that. And I remember years and years ago when I used to run nonprofit, one girl was uh, submitting her application to help with FBI. And same thing, they showed up and they asked me a million questions and I didn't know fully process, but I I understood, right? And I knew, you know, enough, but we're just, I can tell a lot of other people were nerve wracking, like, oh my God. Yeah. They felt so like what's going on, and and it is so in, unusual. But anyway, I'm glad Joey yeah. survived. <laughs> yeah, and that was one of the things the guy mentioned. Even at the very first interview that I went to a theater, I was sitting in a theater, Isabella, with like 56 of the best chefs from around the world. Uh-huh. The guy to my right who had flown in from Dubai. There was another lady who had flown in. She was off of an aircraft carrier. She was the captain's private chef on the aircraft carrier. There were several chefs from the Secretary of Defense's private dining room in the Pentagon. You know, and I watched, there was a guy in a suit. Um, He was up working out of like a room on, on the side of the theater and he would come down and he would tap a sailor. We were all sitting in, the, in our dress blues. He would tap a sailor on the shoulder and, and tell him. And I noticed the sailor would follow him up to the room. They would go in the room. The door would shut. This is why on the stage, there's a master chief petty officer giving a presentation about what it's like to work in the White House, how we have, you know, of course, Air Force One and the helicopters from Marine One. He was doing a full presentation. Okay, what it's like to be in the military and work in the White House. And then I was like watching. (laughs) I would watch that sailor left the building in the middle of the interview. And then the guy would come out again and he would get another person. And bring them up to the to the room. And I was like, I wonder what's going on up there. Because these people are like leaving. We lost like half the audience. It took me 10 years to find out. I was living in Japan when I found out because I was now hosting a White House symposium. I, 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 the White House contacted me. They said, hey, we're coming over to Asia. Would you host at your headquarters with your admiral? Do you have a theater? We want to host a recruitment thing. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm alumni. Sure, you know, come on in, Master Chief. So, but I but I asked him, I says, listen, I just have one question. What is that dude doing in the suit? Who is he? He's like, <laughs> well, it's not the same guy that you had, but he's running a miniature background investigation on people. I was like, and when the people leave in the middle of the presentation, because the audience went down to like half, what is your recruit? He's like, we're actually getting like three people out of a hundred. So we'll get like a hundred of the best chefs in the Navy. We're actually able to, to, at the end of the pipeline, Marty, 12 to 14 months, we're actually able to get like two or three that can make it through. Wow. And he said, you know what the worst part is, is when we tell them how therapeutically intrusive this is going to be, psychosocially all through their life and everything they did with everybody, you know, a lot of them tap out right away and say, absolutely not. I am not having people go to people, agents in suits with sunglasses and gold badges all around my town asking all every my church, 
Mm. Priests, you can't talk to priests about what a person did or said. It's like, oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Gosh. And they'll tell you, like, right away, Isabella, absolutely take me out of this freaking process right now. <laughs> I don't need to work at the White House. Okay. Absolutely. And, and he's like, we lose like 40 that way. We lose another 40 through liars. And sometimes bad things come up in their process. Like we'll, we'll mention to them, uh, is this your uncle Ralph here? Is this a photograph of you with your uncle Ralph uh, six years ago when he came to visit from Montana? Yeah. Your uncle Ralph is actually a senior Lieutenant in the Nazi socialist militia. Did you know that? You see people like, what? Yes, your, your Uncle Ralph. He's a senior lieutenant. He's a senior Nazi officer. They're like, oh, my God. What are you talking about? We're, we're actually wondering. We're asking you. No, I don't know any of this. Well, he's involved with your father, who is a colonel. Did you know your father was a Nazi American colonel? So, oh, my God. What? You know, we're we're going to be bumping your candidacy. Uh -huh. You can stay in the Navy. We're not going to remove you from the Navy, but you are definitely never working at the White House. Okay. Wow. You, 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 you may have a few problems to go talk about in your family. Okay. We're not trying to start anything up with a hate mechanism, but we're removing your candidacy. So the, this master chief was telling me, you know, he's like, we, we lose a lot of people. Uh, we find out that they beat up their wife and turned their kid into a paraplegic in a wheelchair some 12 years ago. You know, they think that we're not able to review an expunged record in a sealed black document from the court where it was sealed by the judge. They, they think we can't see this stuff, Marty. You know, I mean, yes, we can see it, okay? And we don't want anyone who can be bribed who would be susceptible to being turned by counter-recruitment from another country to like put a needle into the chicken breast of like 20, 30 chicken breasts while you're back there cooking a state dinner. We wouldn't want that. Okay. <laughs> so you understand, right, Marty? I was like a needle in the what? In like the chicken breast, you know, you just hit it, you know, I'm like, oh, no, no, we wouldn't want that. I understand. I understand. So it took um, about 10 years to find out a lot more. Wow, what a journey and what a rigorous process. But what also says so much about you, your integrity, your transparency, your honesty, and, and, and how you lived your life to that point, that you were able to not only pass the most rigorous, obviously, background check, to be able to be invited in and not only to start to serve to see if that's gonna work out, but to spend how many years in White Houses and what top chef? Yeah, yeah, so it's a three year tour if you're in the Navy. And then if you're smart, you leave and you go out and do other things. So I actually went and moved you know, to Japan I went back to sea service on a nuclear submarine, one best restaurant in the world. Um, went on to do a lot of things, went to live in Europe, went to live in Hawaii. I did not want to hide in the White House. So, you know, now this is six presidents that I've worked with from Biden all the way back to H.W. Bush. 
in one way or the other, whether it was GI rights programs or, or the veterans housing bill. Um, Biden, actually, I started working with him on childhood hunger in 1994. Wow. Yeah. That is unbelievable. So you had a chance not only with most recent presidents to interact, obviously yeah. to serve them, but to learn from them and learn things from very different perspective, different perspectives we typically now see in the media where we have a very heated discussions and polarization and division and agendas. But when you see them as a hungry, normal people who would like to have a meal and also have a conversation and at the same time, what's going on in terms of responsibility and accountability yeah. and everything that they have to face every single day. I heard that those Absolutely. days are grueling marathon days. They're very, very long. Yeah, if you're in the military like I was, um, I have a 30-year retired certificate. So, you know, you don't get to take the chef's coat off at night, like at 8.30 at night and go home. Um, there's many days I worked 18-hour days, seven days a week, 126-hour work weeks, week after week after week after week. Um, you may have to put on like a polo shirt, become a bartender at night. You know, uh, there's lots of jobs. I worked in the Orange One nuclear bunker underground. There's lots of things in the military that you're doing. You are not just there to, to be a chef and cook the meals. You know, I was a housekeeper. I was a bartender to the first family and all their guests and you know, so there's a lot of responsibilities uh, that you have to have if you're in the military. Mm. So amazing. And then also, of course, presidents have their own responsibility and very busy calendars and a lot of events and galas. Yes. So do you mind sharing some of the events you created amazing experience? Yeah, that? I think. One of the coolest ones was we were accused of having seances up at Camp David. So um, that's always fun when you're reading about everything you're doing all the next day. And then you get the newspapers and you're like, what they say we're doing now? Oh, evidently <laughs> last night, because Tony Robbins was here, we were doing Ouija boards. It's like, <laughs> OK, that's cool. Yeah. Mr. Robbins flew in. You know, they called him and said, hey, Tony, uh, the president wants to, to, to see if you could come visit with them, you know, and talk with him and advise him. And, and Tony was hilarious. He's like, which president from which of the companies? They're like, no, bro, the president. Yeah, which one? <laughs> no, the president, Tony, stop this. He's like, I, I, I'm at my <laughs> resort in Fiji. We're getting ready to do the hot coal walking. Um, I would have to fly there like on a small plane. Where, 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 where are they? You know, they're like, they're up on the top of the mountain at Camp David. They want you to come up right away. So when he arrived, it was kind of cool. This was a really neat event. Um, Steve Covey was there, you know, lots of people were there. And uh, you may remember Steve Covey, uh, a really awesome dude, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, so one of the waiters came back and he said, hey, there's a giant out front. He's like seven foot tall dude. And he said he, he's a vegetarian and he wants to know what the chef has. And don't try to serve him. And I'm, and chef, I'm just saying this. I'm not, I'm not like making it up. I'm just quoting it. So don't be angry at me. But, but this dude is like seven foot tall. I'm like, wait a minute. Let me go look at through the one way mirror. So I go over there. I'm like looking. 
I'm like, bro, that's Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. That's freaking Tony Robbins. <laughs> of course he's seven foot tall. What did he what did he say? What did he say? He's like, he doesn't want some BS fake vegetarian dinner. And he gave me a couple examples of what would be fake, like a big salad. And he said under his breath, that's not a meal. Or a big plate of steamed vegetables. That's not a meal. So what do you have? And he got out his pen and he, he, he's like, I'm going to write this down. What do you have, chef? I was like, oh, dude, I got this nailed. I got some pierogies if he wants Polish. Well, I've got some mashed potato and cheddar stuffed pierogies. I can do them in a skillet with, with butter and onions if he wants. If he doesn't want the onions, I can just do them with, with just the butter. Okay, also I have a vegetarian lasagna ready to go if he would like to have that. He's like, oh, oh my gosh, this is like really good food. So I gave him a couple of different things. He went out there, he came back. He said he's really excited. This is actually real vegetarian food. Thank you so much. Okay, um, um, you know, he, he was super pumped. Uh, the only question he had was on the butter, since that's from, you know, like a cow. Uh, do you have any of the non-cow? I was like, oh, yeah, we have like a choice of five, six different butters here. Fake butter, all types of stuff. You know, we don't have to use. I wasn't going to use cow butter. You said he was vegetarian. He's like, oh, OK, I probably screwed that up. But but yeah, that, no, that's great. He's really happy. So and he was he come by the kitchen later with Steve Covey. Um, and then I went down to the White House because they said Steve Covey is going to do a private invitational with a private teaching inside the White House. Who would like to attend? And I was like, bro, <laughs> Steve Covey <laughs> private. <laughs> no cost from Franklin Covey Institute. No cost in the White House. <laughs> I was like, I, and then I went through the whole Franklin Covey program for half a month and graduated all free, all free, Amazing. based Amazing. off of all of that one big dinner that I did that night up at the Camp David Resort. So there's a perfect example of like an event. Wow, I love that. Obviously, everybody can relate. Everybody know who Tony Robbins is and know his story, his background. But the fact also that the way you interacted and experienced and how you made it all that magical is absolutely amazing. So thank you for sharing that amazing story. Yeah. So I'm curious, I'm sure everybody else watching and listening are curious about the same thing. What is some of the unusual unique dishes you have to have made for some of the presidents and if you can disclose which one if can't at least tell us some really unusual stuff obviously your culinary expertise expanded from your european heritage and italian and all kinds of meals and everything else Absolutely. but i'm curious what is the favorite dish in white house come on well Marty. so so now you know since i'm also the curator here of the united states presidential culinary museum when i yeah. travel all over the world um i'm actually cooking all 46 presidents of the united states i offer all of their favorite dishes and all of the first lady's favorite dishes so um, i tell the funny stories behind the food i get people laying of course um you know and they have different requests isabella like you know i did two democratic conventions recently and then I got on a plane and flew to Chicago and did a Republican mega dinner, you know, and it was the first time ever that they ever had invited a chef. They said, we've had Bush here, 
We've had uh, uh, Newt Gingrich, we've had Mitt Romney, um, all of them big ticket, 80,000 to 200,000 speakers, okay? Um, but Marty, we've made the most money off of you. In 30 years time, Marty, this was Connie Beard, the Republican uh, party chair lady. She said, we've made the most money in history off of you. Because everybody was asking like, this is so crazy. We're having like the White House chef come here. And, and who's cooking? Who's, who's, who's doing the cooking? Is, I'm not actually cooking for like a thousand people. Okay. <laughs> I can't do it. Okay. It's a couple of, you know, a couple of people may be sure on your yacht at your home, you know, okay, great. But, but a thousand people, I actually work with the, the resort, the restaurant, the hotel. We use all of their chefs and waiters. I send them the recipes well, on this one, you know, they had a bunch of fun Lincoln favorites and, and, and famous Republican dishes, but we got to the dessert and they said, we want to have a tray of, of desserts come out and be put down on each table. Okay. And what we're going to have is Nancy Reagan's macaroon recipe. We're going to have the Bush's very famous cowboy cookies, the chocolate chip. Okay. And we're going to have some jelly bean, jelly, jelly belly, jelly beans, if they want a couple of those from Reagan. And we want to have that Trump cookie, the, the Trump's favorite cookie, you know. And, and so I was like, well, if you have Trump's favorite cookie, though, it's probably going to piss a lot of people off because they're paying like $125 per person. I better explain why that cookie is on the tray. And the lady, Connie, she was like, oh, my gosh, yes, please do. You have to explain that because they will be very angry. OK, it's a machine made cookie from Keebler. I'm like, well, that's because Don's best friend is not Rudy Giuliani. It's actually the Keebler elf. OK, mm -hmm. and Don loves those Vienna fingers. They're a very famous cookie that is made by Keebler. Now you can imagine $125, you've got six, they had like six Congress people, two senators, I think three judges were in the audience, okay? And here's this chef as the keynote speaker. So they're all sitting there like this already. <laughs> and will it be my time to get up and speak? Actually not, it won't be Senator. The, the chef is the guest speaker tonight. So. <laughs> or who, whoever heard of having a machine made cookie on to eat? And, and so Connie was like, you've got to explain that that's actually the president's favorite cookie. The, mm. the, the Keebler... Vienna fingers. So make sure. And then they'll all laugh. And once I explained that, they all broke up laughing. So they thought it was funny as heck. And, and that particular president, Trump, he is very famous. He likes um, the food manufacturers. He loves fast food like Clinton. He's a big advocate for fast food companies, you know, so um, naturally, you know, and, you, and you're not here to make fun of people or judge them. Sure. I always tell folks, like, if you are the chef in a private home getting paid 150 per year, why am I here now? Why did they call me to come here and work with you? Because you are making fun of them and don't want to cook what they like to eat. So that's the real reason why I'm here, okay, wow. is because they want me to make sense to you. Oh, and by the way, here is a paper from their attorney. I'm actually allowed to terminate you if I can't make sense to you this week. 
would you did you want to to look at this wow and it's crazy i'll go to some of these homes and they're like yeah he's back there doing like about the wines we serve one of the other servants mentioned to us marty he went like this we just happen to like you know wines from the columbia valley i know they're not french marty we really like the pinot noirs from the columbia valley you know i'm like he should not be doing that at all he should not be he was doing that like with his finger in his mouth that means that like that's gross that's what that means mm -hmm. well, you know there's also been several other arguments with him marty about the way we eat we like scrambled eggs some nights for dinner i'm like okay Marty knows what I need to do. I'm either going to try to reprogram him and make sense. This dude's living in a free home, getting 150 per year, lives on the compound. And, and sometimes, honestly, Isabella, we have to fire them. They have to go. True, true. If you're there to satisfy the customer. You're there to do what they want. That's and right. if you're not able to do that, and we're supposed to be neutral and impartial and not judgmental. And That's you're spot right. on. And we see this all the time in the business arena, just because it does not reflect certain values or certain things we used to, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's so many different right. ways to live, to lead, and to also interact, right? But That's ultimately, right. we're in the business for the customer. That's so very, right. very interesting. I'm sure that person had a hard time adjusting their game. And maybe when he got fired, I would. my intuition is saying. Yeah. But I'm curious how that story ended up. What, what did you have to do? So that particular story was able to be reprogrammed. Okay, the, the face of fear um, came over them. Um, another loving couple where out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that I went to visit that massive estate where they lived in a free home, had a free car, free gas, free insurance, all free utilities. Plus the owner told me, you know, when they moved here, Marty, I, I let them go out to Ikea and spend like 35,000 to furnish the place the way they wanted it to be furnished. You know, I guess they're gonna take all that furniture with them when you fire them. I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're not. No. Okay. No, they're not. Okay. He, they were just very dissatisfied. Now I do have a rule, Isabella. I tell them the only time you're allowed to be pissed off is if you go to prison on behalf of your employer. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you go to jail, you can be angry. Okay. If it was not your fault, you did nothing. You were only doing what they told you to do and you go to jail and you're in the slammer. Okay, and this happened with President Carter. So then you could be angry. But if it hasn't happened and you haven't gone to prison yet on behalf of your employer because of something they told you to do, then you have no right to act this way. And so everyone's always saying like, well, oh my gosh, who, who, who went to prison for the Carters? I'm like, well, first of all, the Carters had a, a nanny that worked at the White House who was a convicted murderer. Okay. Oh my and people all in all the newspapers was always big, bold print convicted murderer sprung from prison now works at White House watching children. Okay. And, so, and they she, knew, so they knew that that was a convicting murder working in a White House. It was not like a hidden identity or, oh my goodness. Okay, please, please tell us more. No, she was a huge, huge, big case of the Carters. 
And they were like, this was wrong. She was illegally imprisoned. She did not kill the person. That is not true. And we're not firing her. And she's going to stay here. And, and she may be a convicted murderer. That is true. We cannot take that statement away. But she didn't do it. And we're not getting rid of her. And yes, she watches our daughter, Amy, alone in a room. Okay? All the time. We love her and we trust her. She is a convicted murderer. That is true. And Jimmy did do an interview with Playboy magazine. That is also true. But unless you have something else, get off our back. So <laughs> sometimes there's there's trying situations. And I had promised I was going to show you a short clip from uh, my TV series about the Carters. So I will put that up here for us now. This is pretty short. Let me just share that with everybody. That will be fantastic, Marty, because we love these stories, but it's also good listening to them and hearing what actually all of this means, because a lot of times we first react, right? And as you just said, explained, makes so much sense and also shows the different characters and different personalities. Absolutely. So let me make sure you can see that okay. Yes, we can. Please proceed. Okay, I'll hit the play button and I'll pause it just one second to make sure you're getting audio there in Colorado. Everybody, welcome again. I'm Marty Mongello from the United States Presidential Culinary. So can you hear that okay? Yes, perfectly, please. Okay. Museum and enjoying another episode of Inside the President's Cabinet. Well, guys, today we are going to enjoy this episode about President Carter. And actually, this episode is where President Carter springs White House employees from the slammer. Oh, guys, <laughs> did you know that the most famous item of the Carter presidency in the White House is actually a beer? Um, Billy Beer, his brother, showed up and had a hand truck and brought some in. And of course, the social secretary warned the Secret Service, don't you dare say anything. He's going up to the Oval and he's going to do whatever he's doing. This is Jimmy's doing, brother, uh, Billy. You are not stopping him. Well, it's an unauthorized item um, coming into the White House and we don't allow that here. Don't say a thing, okay? We're not having an embarrassing episode today. Uh, of course, uh, his brother, Billy, uh, then hands out six packs in the Oval Office to several people. And the Secret Service goes crazy because we do not allow food items, gang, to be handed out to other heads of state from all over the world of untested, unlicensed, unauthorized drinks or food. We burn all the food. I covered that in one of the previous episodes. When you guys send pies and cakes to the White House, every day it goes in a dumpster and gets lit on fire. Um, of course, uh, the president's brother says, uh, is there a problem with it? I'm just here to hand out six packs to folks. Let them enjoy it. Of course, the Secret Service does ask him, um, Mr. Carter, was it your intent then to come into the program, the Secret Service program and feature the presidential seal on your cans? Not really, why would we do that? Um, because we would need to come down to 
uh, Georgia and, you know, bring some scientists and chefs and Secret Service agents and, you know, check the barley and the hops and we do all that with our chefs and so, sounds kind of intrusive to me. I don't think so. Um, well, we still kind of need to come down anyway, sir, if you're going to be handing out six packs in the Oval. Um, so they do. Kind of scares a lot of people to have all these people around at the factory. Uh, James Earl Carter, a Libra uh, at five foot ten, became the President of the United States at 52 years old. So I know people always ask me, how old was that President? So President Carter was 52. He was he in the Navy the as a bell. And his wife, Rosalind, hired a very talented and famed executive pastry chef that I worked with for many years, Roland Messnier. Although he did battle immediately with Nancy Clark, our famous White House florist who has passed away at this time. But together, these two were like fight match, it's on. Somebody ought to ring a bell right now. Ding, ding. Um, a lot of altercations with them. One of the things that shocked me about Roland was at the 2012 Washington Winter Show, he mentioned uh, that the Carters actually really didn't like peanuts. And so I was like a bit surprised because everybody I think remembers the president was a very famous peanut farmer from Georgia. But when um, Roland mentioned also that they had this nasty and disgusting uh, cheese ring that would be made I kind of found that off-putting that he was saying that on stage to thousands of people in Washington, D.C. But it is a very famous dish that Rosalind asked to be made, and uh, it was a mixture of Munster, cheddar, and all the stickiest cheese you can find, and then they end up putting onions and capers and strawberry jam in with that recipe. So a super famous Carter dish that was served. Uh, like many presidents coming into office, he was soon told all about how much money is spent for state dinners. And the president himself said that he believes the American people um, shouldn't be paying for beautiful flowers in the White House like this. Uh, one of my friends, Nancy Clark, her florist in the White House for 25 years, I absolutely loved her work. She chronicled in her book that one of her high-end designers, Ron Payne, um, mentioned we would go out and pick and cut flowers for the White House in the city parks. That's our daughter. At the National Zoo. Um, people would stop us getting the wildflowers and then up on the Rock Creek Parkway to pluck daffodils. And that's where the police stopped one of the guys one day and mentioned, yeah, sure, buddy. You're from the White House. You're up here on the side of this hill. And people, if we have received numerous calls and reports that there's someone up here and what, what is all this for? What is um, this poor guy had to call Ron and beg him. They took me in. I'm down here in prison. And <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, somebody had better get me out of here. They think I'm a liar. It's fake news and they're not letting me go. Okay. And they took all the flowers. So. Oh my gosh, the White House has to intervene to get him out. Hey, thanks friends so much for joining us again. I really appreciate it. You can subscribe right down there. Uh, we would love for you to subscribe, so click on subscribe. And looking forward to seeing you again real soon for another episode of Inside the President's Cabinet. All right, there you go, Isabella. I told you it was short and sweet. Um, 
that is just amazing to see, you know, that we had a president that didn't want to pay for flowers and told our staff, you go out around Washington, D.C. in the free city parks with a scissors in your pocket and you could cut enough flowers to use for the White House bouquets. I'm not paying this money. And one of them was arrested up on the hill that day and called from the slammer and said, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. Somebody had best come down here and they took all the flowers for tonight's state dinner. Okay. They, they're not believing me that I work at the White House. <laughs> okay. And the cop <laughs> said, you're illegally up on the hill. This is a park. This is a, a park. Okay. You're up here cutting all the flowers down and you can't do that. They, they put me in the back of the cruiser and I'm actually calling from the prison. They were wow, like, wow, what a story. Mr. President, <laughs> I think we're going to need to start buying flowers. <laughs> we're going to need to start paying the, the $50,000 for flowers. And he was like, no, no, we're not. We're, we'll. So they actually trimmed it down for a state dinner from the 50 grand down to about $15,000 for flowers. Wow. So I that tell people, right, if you, that's the only time you get to be mad is if you, you go to prison because you did something your employer told you to do, who ordered you to do it, and you're calling me from prison, then you can be mad. <laughs> that's pretty fair, well, that's right? Sorry. <laughs> that's pretty fair. It is pretty fair, and I, I'm with you. You know, a lot of times uh, we we obviously don't know all these regulations and what what we can and cannot do. But you're right; you have to follow orders, and those orders were coming from very high top, from the top of the top, right? How do you argue that? <laughs> what is one of your favorite dishes that you will have to make? Um, and I really, as dessert lover and chocolate lover, yes. I need to know a little bit of that side. I mean, I'm Croatian, you Italian, you know that we love great cup of coffee, great cappuccino, and then we also love good piece of good chocolate or good dessert. So bring it on. Well, I'll tell you from over where you live, very famous is a Russe, R-U-S-S-E. And Mary Todd Lincoln made super famous um, the Charlotte Russe. And so uh, we actually recreate Mary Todd Lincoln's Charlotte Russe that was very prevalent and that she served at different dinners. And that's one of our big Lincoln dishes that we do a lot is the Charlotte Russe. So you guys have historical knowledge, information, and data that dates back when to Lincoln's era, all the way to the current time. And based on specific events and what is happening at a different political parties or purpose of the events, you recreate dishes, mix and match, and create the palette of different flavors and bring in all the history together. Am I hearing you correctly? Yes, exactly. And then you get the storytelling along with that as a, a short keynote can be, you know, 25 minutes to 45 minutes. Um, you're sitting there dining and eating on, on all the famous presidential dishes. And if it's, you know, a sensitive crowd, they'll often tell me like, you know, we, we don't want to feature any of the modern presidents for any kind of controversy. Let's stick with some of the ones that people love. We can do Washington, Lincoln, Kennedy. 
let's stick with a bunch of presidents that were very popular, that everybody kind of sort of knows, you know, and serve their favorite dishes. And oh, oh, Marty, do you happen to know the, the favorite cocktails of every president and first lady also? And, and yes, yes, we do. Uh, we can do that as well. What, what did you have in mind? We'd love to have like four specialty cocktails at the bar for like two hours before the dinner. Why not? Let's do it. You want to do like a Nixon cocktail? What, what you want to? They're like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Did Nixon like to drink? I'm like, oh my God. Nixon used to call people with drunk calling. They have them on the tapes at the Nixon Library in California. You can like go online today and listen to the drunk phone calls that he made. They, they have all those tapes are available because oh, many I people, they can't you believe this. They're, they're like, why are you talking about that? That's very private information and embarrassing, Marty. You, you shouldn't be bringing things like that up. It's denigrating and beneath you. And you are not representing the White House correctly. I'm like, this is available at the library when you go there. They, they, they have 5,000 visitors per week. You, you can put the headsets on and, and listen to drunk phone call number 467. It's on the website, the National Archives website. Go to the Nixon Library website, which is run by the National Archives, and listen to the drunk phone calls. Okay? I, I'm not doing anything that, that's inappropriate. I guess you're shedding a light or spotlighting certain things that people feel like, but that, but that is, again, part of the history. We have to look at our teams, good, bad, and ugly, right? And everything in between. But at the same time, back to cocktails. So Nixon's favorite cocktails, but tell us some other, like Clinton's or Bush's or Obama's. Tell us what cocktails are really, really um, being very popular. So the, the Clintons were hilarious. They loved martinis, okay? Ooh. And they liked it to be extra dry. So if it's extra, extra, extra dry, that's when you get the vermouth. And you just like waved, you know, a, a, a wisp mm. over the top. It doesn't even get like one teaspoon. <laughs> so, and, and, and they like to have fun just like anybody else and have a drink. The Kennedys really brought hard liquor back to the White House. Um, they were castigated and, and people were really like embarrassed and angry that they were serving hard liquor. Previous to that, it was just, you know, beer and wine and champagne. But mm -hmm. the Kennedys brought back and, and the president had a secret bar, you know, that was built into a wall. So um, they enjoyed their drinks uh, uh, very much so. And, uh, you know, I mean, people are looking to try and, and have some fun, have a drink. Uh, my wife and I, we're not really big drinkers, but if we're visiting somebody and they say, oh, gosh, we're making daiquiris tonight. Do you want a banana daiquiri? I'll probably be the first person in line. But I mean, I'm kind of like a one drink loser. Uh, I'm not really good for more than one drink. Neither is my wife. It's, it's not high on our list to get drunk. Same, same, yeah. You know, whatever you're making, a margarita, a daiquiri, something fun. Uh, some of the crazy drinks guests would, would ask, you know, actually, uh, to answer your question, Isabella, I had a guy come up to me one night. It was about like one in the morning. And, and he was like, do you know how to make a gin ricky ball? I was like, a gin ricky? Yes, sir, I do. Good. I want a gin ricky and my wife would like to have a pink squirrel. I was like, yes, sir. Okay, we'll get that done. I'll, I'll, 
I'll bring it over to you. I had to get rid of him. I'll bring it over to you. You know, go ahead, go sit down. I'll just wait right here. I was like, no, sir, I'll bring it over to you. Please go sit down. I was over there looking through a book. (laughs) I went and told my boss the next day, I was like, we are having a serious problem. The guys in the Navy, the people are asking us, do you know how to make a golden Cadillac? All these drinks, a pink squirrel, a gin Ricky, you know, (laughs) things that we actually don't know how to make. This is really embarrassing for the presidency of the United States. We're looking (laughs) them up in a book. Okay. I, I, he's like, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, I've already called the Maryland Bartending Academy. I've got myself and one of our best chefs is going. We're starting class on Monday. (laughs) You have to go down there five days a week. We'll be gone for two weeks. We'll come back to work every day in the afternoon. Okay. Wow. He's like, oh, you're, you know, this one thing I like about you, Mangello, you come (laughs) in here with these nightmarish problems, but you always have a solution. You're not dumping your problems on my desk like some of the other chiefs used to do. He was an officer. (laughs) I was like, no, sir. No, I mean, I was taught that when you come in with a nightmare for the boss, you have to have a like at least three solutions. And then to identify what you're recommending, your recommendation is to go with number two. But I leave the ultimate decision to you, Admiral. You know, so I'm so... you know, off we went, we, we graduated bartending. And as soon as we came back, I sent two more to, to put an end to that. Fantastic. So you had uh, several generations or multiple other graduates and interesting thing. Okay. So tell us some other names because those names are amazing. I'm going to be Googling those. Like, how about you guys? I'm now curious what all of those drinks means, but what is something most outrageous? I mean, I, I'm just curious uh, because how did you figure it out and find the recipes? So yeah, I mean, I think the most outrageous dish I ever made, um, and I'll end today just by sharing this particular story, um, is very rare that they want the vice president and the president together anywhere, okay? Because they each have their own nuclear football, okay? We also have a nuclear briefcase with the Secretary of Defense. We have, you know, um, other people who are part of the nuclear launch program. Okay, so I'm going to tell you how many we have. Okay, how many nuclear footballs we have. But, you know, the reason they don't want the president and the VP together is because if, if one of them gets, you know, a bomb goes off or a missile comes in or, you know, it could take two people offline and we'll lose about 10 to 20 to 30 seconds of decision-making where they actually Mm -hmm. terminate the call, unable to reach POTUS, move to vice president. Roger too, vice president was part of the attack. Also move to the SECDEF or or speaker of the house. The speaker of the house has a nuclear football. We're actually going down the line and you're burning up. Yeah, you're burning up time during these war scenarios. Four minutes, 32 seconds. There's there's a computer talking out of the ceiling. Four minutes, 22 seconds. Speaker of the House, this is a simulation. We have you on the line. 
The vice president and president have been killed four minutes, 12 seconds. They have both been killed in an attack. We're not sure. We need to bring you up online. Four minutes, two seconds. With the, the we, we need to bring you up with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and NORAD. Three minutes, 52 seconds. You're waiting for this connect. NORAD live online. NORAD is here. Yeah. Uh, is the Pentagon on the phone? Joint Chiefs of Staff? Pentagon attaching? Pentag Th this is whining. Three minutes, 42 seconds. Three minutes, 32 seconds. Three minutes. When a, a launch off the eastern seaboard, Isabella, occurs from a nuclear submarine, like a Russian sub, mm -hmm. you have less than six minutes to react. Wow. Okay, from the time that thing is detected up in the sky mm. and coming down. And don't forget, in a nuclear missile, it's not a missile that explodes on the target. When it gets to about here above the seaboard, it pops out. <laughs> Numerous nuclear missiles come out of the tip, targeting yeah. five, six, seven, eight different cities, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Orlando, Miami, it, it, one missile actually has numerous missiles inside of it. Okay. Oh my so you're burning all this time down, you know? So I was doing this dinner. They said, we're going to have them together. Al Gore is going to come up with his wife, Tipper. Okay. We're, we're going to have them together for a dinner. Everyone's freaked. We're going to have lots of, of stuff going on. We're going to have, you know, dog patrols, all types of stuff. Okay. And by the way, Tipper is on the Pritikin diet. Are you familiar with the Pritikin diet? I'm like, Dr. Pritikin, he's pretty famous, but no, I don't know the medical mechanics, the intricacies of the Pritikin lifestyle. It's like, well, you better, you better be getting familiar with the intricacies of the Pritikin lifestyle. I'll give you about, ah, take 20 minutes. It's like, the dude has published a couple of books. Okay. Uh, we'll pick a recipe. Just, just pick one. I'm like, okay, well, I found the recipe. It says capon with a seed bread stuffing. They're like, we've run that by the, they like it. They said to do it. Okay. I'll do that recipe then. Okay. It's just for her, just for her. Okay. And a lot of those dinners, Isabella, that's maybe what it's like. We've got 12 meals approved by a rabbi. We've got 17 people that are eating, you know, vegetarian. There'll be six tonight who are doing, you know, kosher. We've also got 42 that are on the Richard Sear, you know, it's like the, 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 the what? Jenny Craig was, or was a South Beach? No, Richard Simmons. I'm like, okay, so 42 on Simmons. You're cooking like all these different, you had best if somebody comes back and asks you like all about South Beach and everything you know about it. You had best know like what you're talking about. You're talking yeah. to a billionaires. Okay. I could have just brought my own chef to cook here. It's like, no, no, we, we, we've got it. We've got it. But this, this capon with seed bread stuffing, it had a weird ingredient. It was called millet. And now I'm driving all around to health food stores. There was no whole foods in the 1980s that didn't exist. Okay. You had to buy ingredients that were like healthy to eat inside like little health food stores. And when you went in, there was usually a Jiffy Pop guy with a big hat. Yeah, man, how you doing? You know, he was from Jamaica or something and he was very healthy eating. And, and you know, so I'm looking all over for millet. I could not find it. I could not find this ingredient. 
And finally, at a, at a hardware store, I found Millet. Even the White House for like five days had drivers driving around to four different states. They call me, they're like, you're going to have to like switch this dish because we can't find, it's actually bird seed is what Millet is. It's bird seed. And if that's what's wow. supposed to be in Dr. Pritikin's stuffing, we can't find it anywhere. I'm like, okay, let me, let me look one last place. I went to a hardware store. Luckily, the millet I bought was USDA certified. Okay. I bought food for actually from a hardware store. I washed it and everything and made the seed bread stuff. So that was the craziest odyssey journey of like 12 days long, trying to find one ingredient with, with almost a dozen drivers driving all across four states. Yeah, wow. we, we used to offer drivers like, look, if you find the ingredient, we'll give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> you know? it's like, there's, a, there's, there's, a guy, there's a guy out front. He just asked, do we have rolling rock beer? Where are we, where are we going to get that? I'm like, I really don't care, but you go to Delaware, you go to Maryland, you go to Virginia and you drive all around DC and whoever comes back with rolling rock beer, you know, wow. gets the hundred bucks. So. <laughs> Unbelievable. Marty, this has been so enlightening conversation and reflects so much, not only in phenomenal stories, but characters, pe real people and people that we really will never had a chance to lean and glean into from this beautiful perspective. It's reflection of amazing leadership and journey you've been on. So at last, before we wrap up for today, because we're going over time and I know both of us are extremely busy people. I just want to ask you, what is coming next, Marty? Because with everything that is happening, with your legacy that is already intact, with the amazing museum you are having in North Carolina with dishes and memorabilia and conversations and stories, what's next? Well, we're trying to expand. We want to expand the United States Presidential Culinary Museum and our Hail to the Chef restaurant with all the president's menus we would like to go into a much larger resort. So we're talking with investors and open to opportunities. Magical. And lastly, you have insane legacy for generations to come. And as everybody knows, as we just heard, everything in Bike House that's being created, cooked, it's captured. Everything you created, recreated, or come up with, it's captured. Your legacy is guaranteed for generations and generations to come. But what would you like to be known and remembered for the most of everything you accomplished thus far? Yeah, I'm a real humanitarian and a Rotarian. So that is what is most important to me is giving to the earth and feeding the earth. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, Leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.